Hey everyone, welcome to Tales of Recovery. My name is Gris Alves and this is just a place of radical and raw conversations on recovery, the process, courage, and resilience it takes to overcome and heal and break patterns of dysfunction and belief systems that have possibly hold, held us back from really living a life in peace, acceptance, and our own power and healing. So really all the things that make us human and how we recover this or how we take back this one and only gift of life that we have. And my guest today is a super cool guy. Matt Bishop is um, a marriage and family therapist, right, Matt? Uh-huh. And I met Matt a long time ago in the super cool workshop that I went to with my husband. I was going through kind of a difficult transition time, just kind of getting a lot of trouble with the church about meditating and oh my hands when I we just needed this time alone and I think it was I don't think it was called mindfulness I don't remember what the workshop was called it was something for couples that you held at the soul care house barn mm-hmm. but I remember we showed up and you're like we're gonna do an exercise in mindfulness and it was just like oh this is my new best friend like I it was so healing and, <laughs> and I, yeah I just deeply remember like see there's other people that that know the benefits of just going inwards and contemplative practices and I'm so very grateful um, that we met you there and then again you know there's another I was telling you earlier this these couple that we know that have been our dear friends for over 15 years and until one of them I won't say who went to see you it was like a transformation in their marriage and Mm. so it's just I just know that you just have this really cool uh, magical healing power. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> it's, it's nice to hear stories of, uh, of you know, someone who had such a profound experience. But uh, oh. maybe I can bottle that magic up and have uh, <laughs> have all my clients drink it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's it's just cool. Then because I hadn't seen you for a long time, and then all of a sudden you're around my neighborhood and I walk to have coffee and you're there with this Matt, you guys has this really cool dog that looks like a wolf. Yeah. He is a wolf. He is a wolf. He's uh he's 25% gray wolf. He's got Husky shepherd, gray wolf, Monty. He's on my bed right now. He's uh he naps for about 18 hours a day. So he's, he's doing what he does best. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's so cool. So Matt, tell us just, can you just want to, just share with us how you got like your journey into becoming a therapist or how it is it you got to this. Yeah. Well first, yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a privilege to be here and to talk to all your listeners. Um, So I was born and raised here in San Diego um, as I grew up in the mean streets of La Jolla. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So I'm a San Diego local. I've never left. And, um, just grew up uh, in the real talk. Like obviously I was very privileged and blessed to grow up where I did, but mm-hmm. a lot of just image consciousness and uh, expectations and um, yeah. just a real performance culture that, um, that uh, just kind of a, I tell people it's like a culture of perpetual lack. It's just like not enough, not enough, not enough, never good enough, never good enough grades, never good enough athletically or and things like that. And so um, I think like, um, like so many of us, we have we find our our coping mechanisms and um, the ways in which we survive in those environments. So, uh, my coping mechanism that I found to just kind of escape from a lot of the anxiety and kind of pressures from um, 
I also grew up very religious as well. So um, okay. a small network of, of house churches um, who it was <laughs> kind of cult-ish, uh, not, not necessarily a cult. I wouldn't say that. I'm, I'm actually still dear friends with a lot of the people that went there, but the format of it will say is just very unconventional. And so there was a lot of spiritual and religious expectations put on me. I put spiritual, not in the healthy sense of the word, but um, kind of esoteric, like high and lofty, theology that a lot of the men were expected to understand and regurgitate and speak and pray and lead. And um, so I just felt like all these expectations um, coming from a lot of different areas. And um, I'm not sure if you or your listeners are familiar with the Enneagram. Um, does that ring talk a bell to you? Yeah, yeah I, mean, uh, I talk about it often. I don't know, but tell us about it. It's just a personality typing system. So I identify as a three. It's called the achiever. So um, just early on the, the, uh, the, um, uh, pressure to, to perform and to excel and to be impressive was just all there. So my coping mechanism that I found when I was 12 years old was pornography and, um, it was just an easy out for me and, um, just, uh, you know, parents had no idea about, um, that was just, you know, high speed internet was just coming in. And so there wasn't really a lot of, um, parents didn't really have any idea on, on how to kind of um, assess for that or see if that was, um, you know, they weren't even aware of it. And so, um, so yeah, so I just developed what I would just call a pretty unhealthy relationship with my own sexuality and um, um, at an early age. And so when I got to college, um, I had a really strong mentor who um, I was just open up with and probably the first person in my life I could really be vulnerable with. And uh, he had said, I think it'd be good for you to get some therapy. And uh, at that point, I was in my fourth year at San Diego State. I was closer to failing out of school than I was graduating. Um, pretty depressed. Um, just using sex in a lot of different ways to escape and cope. And um, it, it wasn't at all like a healthy bonding, connecting thing. It was very much a... Um, uh, numbing out mm-hmm. uh, escape way. And so... So I got into therapy when I was, gosh, I think in my early 20s um, and was in individual and group therapy. I was in individual, well, I, I haven't really ever stopped individual therapy. Maybe I've taken you know, a few months hiatuses, but I just love it. But I was also, that was when I really started it. And then I was in um, a year and a half long group therapy for porn addiction recovery um, and sex addiction recovery. And so... It was when it was within the context of that group that I um, just loved it, and I just got a lot of affirmation from my therapist and the other group members, just my insights and intuitions and um, ability to speak into people's lives. Um, that people just really encouraged me to think about becoming a therapist. So I did. I switched my major to psychology and um, took summer school classes and through that group found so much healing and, and wholeness in my own life. And, um, just kind of the fast started a fast track to being a therapist. So worked a few years in the nonprofit, worked at the San Diego rescue mission. It's a homeless shelter downtown, ran a department there. Um, and, uh, and then transitioned into private practice about four and a half years ago, worked at soul care house for, uh, most of that time. And, uh, and then just recently started my own practice in Bankers Hill, um, which is where I find myself today. So 
that was a very long winded response to your answer, but that's, that's kind of how I decided to become a therapist. Yeah, no, it's interesting how most of the time what we, you know, it's like you teach what you need, right? What's working for you. So that's, that's just really cool that you took that in. I mean, I'm really grateful that you became a therapist. <laughs> um, oh, me too. I don't know. I was on the, um, I was on the, uh, I was a kinesiology major. I was like, uh, I was doing sports medicine and it would have been a terrible fit. I was terrible at anatomy. So, uh, so I'm, gl- I'm glad that I switched for myself too. So can you, so, okay. Can I ask you how did, because I'm assuming, you know, I have my own coping mechanisms kind of, and it's interesting that you mentioned this whole perpetual lack thing because you know, I was for a long time addicted to just drinking and drugs and drinking and drugs. And my parents would always say, or like my grandparents, the shaming thing was like, you have everything. How could you mm-hmm. do this? You know, like, you're not like this or that. And I'm like, well, but I, but this word perpetual lack. Yeah. Is so profound because it was, it was a constant like, well, what else am I supposed to do to be more perfect? Or, you know, there's like a constant emptiness um yeah did that ever i'm just i tie my addiction life a lot to well first of all it just clicked what you said perpetual act but also a lot of it to the shaming that i got just from the family but also from my kind of like religious background sure can we hear a little bit about yours like what was that like how does i'm assuming it's even more hard when on top of it all, you have this religious shame of like, ooh, that's a sin. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I, um, I think, uh, I think it's so easy from particularly older generations who have lived through um, so many challenges to just their basic way of life, right? So, like, if I think of, my grandparents being through World War II and the Great Depression and then raising my parents with that perspective, they were so thankful just to have safety and security and a job and an income. And so um, I don't blame them for having that perspective because for so long that was, that was in question. Like, or is our, you know, are we going to win this war? Are we ever going to get out of this crazy impoverishment of our country Mm -hmm. but i think that so um so when you grow up with those things and we take them and we and we just have them we actually are looking for like love and belonging beyond them and so and so like you know checking all the boxes of having a roof over your head and food to eat and you know getting to go on vacations or whatever you know having a, a somewhat put together life is is nice but um it's not like that's all the human soul needs right we need to know that we are loved that we belong that we're safe that emotionally safe that um and i I think that my parents my grandparents didn't have those luxuries of being able to consider those things as even options i mean even in um you know even in, in what you look for in a partner these days it used to be you know if you're a woman, find yourself who's a man who's a nice man and can provide a living for you and isn't mean to you. And, um, and, and then you can raise kids with, you know, and, 
And now as women are becoming more self-sufficient, it's like, no, I, I want someone I can connect with, right? I want someone I can bond with. I want someone who I'm in love with. I want someone who, who treats me well. Like, um, and so I think the same is true for um, just generally, generationally. It's, it's um, that, that, that we who maybe have grown up with um, not having to worry, although I suppose the season that we're in in the world now, um, some of those worries are coming back about the economy and things like that. But yeah. yeah, but but I think if you grow up in them, you know, we get the privilege of staying on those shoulders and say, thank you. Thank you so much for providing this living for me. And as humans evolve, we start, need, we like, as kind of the outside needs are met of food and water and a roof overhead and education. It's like now we get to focus our attention inside of, what does my heart need? What does my mind need? Do I belong? Um, so I, I uh, you know, I, I try to let go of, of, of resentment for um, my parents or, um, or that older generation because, you know, they were, they were doing the best they can and their focus um, was on different things. Now, having said that, yes, growing up in a very image conscious culture where it wasn't enough just to um, do well, you had to stand out and excel and, and that culture of perpetual lack, I said, um, yeah, just the, the idea that um, accomplishing something isn't um, what I'd say. It just got me to zero. Like it was never, it just got me to neutral to accomplish something. It wasn't like there was any like celebratory or like, we're so proud of you or it was just like, that is what it's expecting at you of you. And then until you do that again in some ways, whether it's athletically, academically, religiously, you're just always playing catch up to get back to just being okay. And, um, and so I, I think that, you know, just what that does to the psyche, to the mind, to the heart, um, people need a way to escape that, to, to, to numb out. I can, I, I, you know, when I meet with clients, it's like, let's talk about why, you know, who are in recovery, you know, specifically early on in recovery. It's like, Hey, like before we completely demonize this thing that let's be honest, for the most part has ruined, you know, a lot of things in life, but let's also honor its function of like, this was, this was here for a reason. Yeah. You went to drugs, you went to sex, you went to gambling, you went to spending, you went to eating disorders. Like there's good reason for it. This was the best way you knew how to cope with the stuff. And let's find you some a better way of being um, that isn't have that where you can cope and you can feel proud of yourself. And, um, but um, before we move on to just demonize and say, Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. Let's kind of honor its, its function that maybe you really needed it for a long time. Yeah. I think a lot of us, or maybe we're just not aware of even why we went to this. Now we're demonizing it without, looking into this awareness that you're talking about, like, why did we seek for this protection to begin with, you know? Because I see it like a protection of, a lot of, a lot of people call it numbing, but I also think it's like, well, it's the only way I can protect myself from this, from this pain. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, can you, okay, so say some of our listeners are here and they're like, okay, I want to do this. I don't want to be mad at my parents. Um, you know, cause you just mentioned you let it go or, or I don't want to be angry at the world or even now, like 
in situation that we're in with all this COVID stuff and people are freaking out. Like what would be as a therapist, the process or how did you work out letting go of, you know, gosh, just, you seem so kind saying, well, my parents, my grandparents, they were another generation, uh-huh. you know, and I let it go. I do. It takes me, I mean, I'm still angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah, mom yeah. just passed away and it just was like two years of this amazing deep work of forgiveness and this and that but but you know how do you walk through this like how do you or I mean how do you walk through your clients through this what's the process of healing for sure mm-hmm. yeah you know i think um well let me say i'm definitely not a completed work <laughs> and um you know i can uh, i can still get triggered by my mom's political leanings and <laughs> my dad, you know, it's, it, it's not like I'm, I'm perfect, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, you know, AA isms or, you know, resentment is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And, you know, those things are, are helpful, um, to know. So I, I think it's, it's, um, you know, for me, it's, I, if I pay attention to my experience when I'm resentful, um, I, I think, you know, this is what, this is a beauty of mindfulness of just paying attention to the experience. What's it like to be so resentful? What's it like to carry that anger? What's it like to, um, you know, I, I, I would say I, I would, present my case before the court, you know, and I'd win every time they, they did this and they did this and they did this and he said this. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can win that court case anytime I want. Um, yeah. But what's it like? What's it like to carry that? And, and if we're honest, I think that we, we have to say, well, actually, it can feel pretty good. I can feel like this righteous indignation and I can feel justified. And for me, for so long, it felt like I was the, um, mantle holder for truth in my family like no one wanted to own how dysfunctional things were and so I would just kind of carry that mantle and I felt like I had to continually remind everyone I'm like this was so what are what are the um are there any language restrictions no 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 all okay. of it it's like this was so fucked up you know and like um you know and, and everyone needs to remember this and, and I felt like I had to like I because there was so much denial for so long so much I re- my resentment was rooted in this idea that I wanted people to know I wanted, I, I needed that validation that like, yes, it was hurtful. Yes, it was painful. Yes, it was hard. Um, but I, I think like, and, and, you know, I did that for as long as I needed to, I suppose, but yeah. I think it just got to the point where I had, you know, i was proud of myself for staying up for myself and speaking that truth. But then as I started to pay attention, it's like, what is it like to continually be on edge this much? to be um to feel so othered from my family to feel so distant at times and for people to genuinely feel and 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 reasonably feel a little scared of me right like um like you know and 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 i didn't like the way that felt and especially when my family members would go through hard times and um i wasn't you know a person that they could call because you know maybe i had you know I was just so hurt in my own pain and, and they were, you know, and they just had experienced me as being upset. And, and so, um, 
you know, I, I, as far as like practical tips, you know, I, I think it's just like, um, therapy with you. <laughs> <laughs> the low, low price. No. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I think for me, it's, it, it has been good to know my, my parents' stories, their origin mm-hmm. stories, right? They came from families as well who were, you know, really difficult and, um, um, and just in trying to understand like the the behavior that they that they did that I was so hurt by was just them dealing with their own pain, and um and I get the privilege of kind of being like resetting that trajectory in my family, right? Like I get to say, yeah, this stops with me. Like my kids are not going to experience that same madness. Um, and that's beautiful. Like, I'm so thankful that I get to be that, you know, if, if you look at like the timeline of family, past, present, and future, and maybe like there's arrows of trajectory to it. Like I get to say the dot that represents me, that there was like a big uptick in terms of like overall health and wellness. And, um, and so in that, that way, it's a privilege. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, I mean, deep breathing for me is always helpful and it sounds so woo-woo, but it's just like, just connecting with my breath, letting it go, giving my, my, my parents permission to be human, not asking them, grieving the loss that like they're never going to be, um, yeah. they're never going to be fully what I've wanted, but I can still, and, and once I kind of grieve that and let go of that, I can accept them for who they are and be thankful for who they are. Um but it's a work in progress. I, by no means do I find do I feel like I've arrived. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like I'm thinking right now as I hear your words, they're landing like I feel okay, so you know you said like your parents have these expectations and you just can't meet I just could never meet their standards or there's always more, like you mentioned. No matter what you did, it's like, well, yeah, you're supposed to do that. This mm-hmm. is like what you're supposed to do. I think a lot of or what I'm sort of just understanding by listening to your words is that those same expectations, you know, I place them on my parents. Like I expect you to be this person that understands my pain. And I expect you to be this perfect mother, like the cartoon or the TV show or whatever. And I expect you. And honestly, there's just, no, you know, kind of like it goes back both ways. I, I, I guess, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've, I don't think I've put, those words to it but that definitely resonates with me of of um yeah reversing that script a little bit and and uh not a little bit reversing that script in a major way and having those expectations of parents Hmm. something wow i'm gonna have to talk to my therapist (laughs) yeah now we're just gonna do therapy here i mean it's just not even (laughs) let's just do it no it's just interesting because i always you know i just like i blame i blame i blame then of course, you know, all the recovery and you, you know, you help a lot of people in recovery. So a lot of it is owning your own side of the story. But even just when you mentioned about looking at their lives and their, I don't know, for me, it's just a lot more comfortable to blame. Sure. You, okay. Let me look at that person's thing. But when you said right now about being mindful of the experience, what does this feel like being pissed off all day, especially now, like maybe we can talk about us. You can talk about this with us. It's like, what do like we're all in this COVID-19 situation, locked up in our houses. 
and some of us are locked up with our parents. <laughs> you know, I mean, my kids are. <laughs> um, or like with people that you know, you, you know, your partners or your husbands, your wives, whatever. And then, but a lot of the, the living that we're used to is high five, welcome, here's dinner, see you later, and now everyone's together. You know, a lot longer periods of time. Sure. Um, and just what is this experience like? You know, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, um, I tell, you know, I think when we're living with people who can trigger us all the time, it can be very difficult, whether it's in a tough spot with your spouse or if you're living with parents or if there's just um, roommates or whatever that just we can feel resentful for. I, I think like um, I tell my, my clients a, I give them kind of a, a metaphor and an analogy of what I think is a helpful framework. And it has to do with taking responsibility for yourself and releasing others of expectation. And um, so I, I always say, just imagine, and this is going to sound crazy, but just imagine one day you're walking down the street and you get hit just by a drunk driver. And let's say the drunk driver is Bill Gates, like the richest man in the world, second richest, him or business, whatever. And, um, and so he's totally at fault. He was totally negligent. And so the, he has infinite resources. Like you are seeing the best doctor. You are seeing the best physical therapist. You are, you have the highest treatment in the world. Every advanced thing imaginable is, is, is given to you in order to recover. It doesn't matter how many resources this other person has at the end of the day. And this is unfair. You are responsible for your own physical therapy. He can't do the physical. Bill Gates cannot do the physical therapy for you. And even so though he ran you over. even though he ran you over, he, he can pay you all his money. He can't, he can't do the physical. Only you can do the exercises. Like only you can show up to physical therapy. Only you. And, and that's not fair but it's just the truth that like we've been deeply hurt and our parents, our spouses, our whatever, like they can only do so much to repair that. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility to do that physical therapy, to do and in this case, do that soul work, do that internal healing work. And so as, as we're cooped up and as we're like, um, where all these people, like I just imagine, you know, I'm imagining a scenario where people are just constantly triggered with people that are, you know, or that are, that, um, by people who are insensitive or just bring up hurt from the past or whatever. We've got to release those people from expectations that they are going to be the ultimate source of our healing. We have to take responsibility that I'm triggered. Who's, who's doing the triggering? Okay, maybe they're the, you know, external source, but I'm triggered. And I, and, and so I'm creating this experience kind of thing. I'm at least participating in it. Right. And, 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 and even if it's just kind of like an an internal thing. Right. And so I I think like, you know, I, this season of, of quarantine and social distancing is really difficult. And I think a lot of us are, you know, there's like this baseline anxiety that I feel like we're all experiencing. Um, like zero to 10, if you're an anxious person, if you were a four, maybe now you're like a 
a six. You know, if you're zero, you're not a two. I think everyone's kind of have an uptick. Yeah. But there's also tremendous opportunity in this for us to tend to the areas of our life where we do feel triggered, where we do feel not our best selves. And so, um, so I think the first thing we want to do is start looking at this time as an opportunity, accept it. We're going to be here for a long time. I think many more months. Um, oh, wow. You think so? Damn. I, I think so. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an infectious disease expert. So, um, but I, I, I think we're going to be cooped up for yeah many more months. And, and so it's a perfect time to reflect and say, how do I want to spend the next few months and what am I responsible for? And what, what is, what is within my, my realm of control to work on? Is it forgiveness? Is it surrender? Is it letting go? Yeah. Is it building hope? Is it restoration? Is it, you know, I, and I think the first thing I would just say is just like looking at this time as an opportunity rather than a curse. Um, chances are this is going to be the only pandemic we experience in our lifetime. They happen every you know century or so. Yeah. So, um, yeah. This is going to be a time that you tell your grandkids about one day. So what's the story you want to tell? Yeah, it took the opportunity to to be mindful of the experience. Yeah. So, okay, let me ask you this. Um, how do you, as a therapist, name can name some of the sensations of anxiety? Because in my head, I feel like, okay, anxiety is just super, super heart palpitations and I feel like I'm going to pass out. But maybe, do you know, like in your school or all your studies, can we experience anxiety in a different physical sensation? Mm. Like, I just want to sleep all day. Uh, yeah, like how, how it manifests. Yeah. Um, difference, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, gosh, I love... Uh, I love mindfulness. I love meditation. I love paying attention to my own experience. And I love opening up that doorway for other people because I think so often we don't um, slow down long enough to actually be curious about what we're feeling. Um, you know, I do, I do this exercise with a lot of clients, a lot of male clients in particular on what it is to feel a feeling. Like what is that? What, what does that even mean to feel my feelings? And so I'll give them some tea and I'll just say, okay, look, your only responsibility for the next two minutes is to taste this tea. That's it. I, and um, just whatever there is to notice about the taste of the tea, I just want you to notice it. Like just bring the spotlight of your attention fully onto the taste of the tea. And if your mind starts to wander, that's okay. Don't judge yourself for it. Just bring it back to the taste of tea. And, uh, and so, you know, typically like, Oh, that was calming. That was nice. Or, and, um, and so I say, so feeling our feelings, in this case, anxieties, there's kind of some disagreements on whether or not anxiety is a feeling. Um, but, but whatever the sensation is, um, what we want to do, every feeling leaves its signature on our body. We can taste it if we slow down enough and pay attention. We can feel its energy pattern moving through our body and our nervous system. And we can be, we can take a really, really curious posture about this. Like, wow, what is this like for me? What is it like for me to feel sad? Or what is it like for me to feel frustrated? What's it like for me to feel anxious? And 
by actually adopting a curious posture, it actually does reduce a lot of the intensity of experiencing it. And I think that um, it's a, and what, what ends up happening is people start to, when they slow down and participate in just feeling their feelings and being curious about it, it opens up all these avenues of expression of those feelings, whether it's verbally, right? Or whether it's even in their physical body, wanting to change postures, um, th their ability to communicate just about it, just kind of expands. Memories come to mind. I remember the last time I felt this way, or it's kind of like this. And so, um, so with anxiety, I think, you know, it's, I, I can never know what anxiety feels like for you. I can just, we can just kind of report, um, what our experiences are and see if there's kind of overlap. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, um, anxiety is a word that, that, that many people give towards an experience that they're having. Um, and so I'm, I'm not necessarily like, uh, you know, this is where like language kind of drops off or I'm not even necessarily that concerned with what we want to label this feeling. Um, I'm so much more concerned about what, what, you, what your personal experience, what my client's personal experience is with it and what it, why it's there and what it has to teach us and um, how we can take ourselves, take, take care of ourselves given that we're feeling this thing. So if you, you know, if, if you're, sounds like there's something happening to you where it's just like, I just gotta, I gotta nap. Like I gotta shut down for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's your way of, of, of taking care of yourself in this way. Then, then great. I think that's, um, that's perfectly fine. You know, as so long as, we're not being negligent of our responsibilities to, you know, ourselves and other people, but like, um, so for me, I would say that, you know, the napping is, is a, a response to the feeling, not necessarily the feeling yeah, I'm itself. An I'm an anxious napper. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just tossing and turning. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, no, but I do understand you're right. It's, it's cool to know that there's, oh, there's not like this formula oh this is what you feel this is what it's labeled but really what is just to be aware of my experience our experience um is this how you walk your clients through like um sort of the stages of healing like noticing because i feel like a good therapist doesn't tell you the answers but offers you the space to experience it and then just kind of be like oh yeah you know i i i um I wouldn't say that I have like a, a system in place that I'm like, step one, get client to do this or step two, get client to do this. Or, you know, I, I, I would, I, I am very, and no, but it's not, it's not a silly question because there are a lot of therapists who do, they have a model mm -hmm. that they reflect on and they walk their clients through. Um, I am a bit more open-ended and I'm, I'm an experiential therapist. So what that means is I, I want individuals to experience, you know, if someone says they're anxious, I want to see the anxiety in the room, I want them to experience it. And then I want to have a corrective experience with them. So maybe we teach them a grounding exercise or maybe we spell that anxiety in some way or, you know, and so, uh, so I, um, I, w I wouldn't say that like, um, that I, I could give you like a, a format that I take people to, but I will say this, slowing down and paying attention to our, our bodies and their responses. We have so much to learn from our bodies, like so much. They store um, so much history and so much um, wisdom. And, you know, it is through our bodies that we um, experience so much. And, uh, and I think it, with, with addiction, there can be such a severance of that connection 
of our, our, our souls to our body or our minds to our body. Um, you know, especially as if, if there's, um, you know, especially as, as we, you know, quite literally might be poisoning our bodies. Um, our bodies might, you know, really be in pain and, and, and hurting in a lot of ways. And so to transform that relationship from one that was previously adversarial and hurtful into one that's more of an alliance and, um, and caretaker role, I think is really, really profound. And, and mindfulness and the things I talked about is certainly one of the ways I do that. I hope I'm answering your questions. I feel like yes. I'm a little bit all over the place. <laughs> no, but it's great. It's like, so, uh, I mean, I love it. I think it's because I, um, I think that's more, and it, it, me, I'm coming from doing what, 25 years of therapy. Mm. And like the last five, four years, I was like, this talk therapy thing isn't working for me anymore. And this, it wasn't until I started to, you know, really dig into mindfulness and then started to work with like somatic experiencing yeah. therapist and doing more like, I don't know, I mean, um, body work and yoga. Then I began to notice like way more of an opening to my experience and the wisdom of my body and the memories that are, that have been stuck in there. But before I would have been like, no, 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 no. We need to work this out in the brain. Like I need to have a formula. And so the fact that you're doing this is super, it's just way, way cooler. Yeah. I love SE therapists. They're great. I'm so, uh, it makes me so happy to hear that you've been working with one there. Oh yeah. Um, uh, there, it's, it, it is a, um, I actually, I actually do think that in like 50 years, I think that every, or however many years, I think that every therapist will, will learn a major component of the somatic experience, the nervous system, the polyvagal nerve, like all these things. I think it's, um, it's quite essential. We, we can't just spend all the time, in our brains analyzing and trying to figure things out and provide more insight. Um, it, it, it's leaving out a, a major component to healing, which is our, our wonderful bodies we've been gifted with and support us and have been supporting us all along and are taking us places. And, and we, and we, you know, we, we just, um, you know, took them for granted for so long. And so to, to have a, you know, I, 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 um, I try to, my, kind of current relationship with my body is just that one of like caretaker. Like I want to take care of you. I want you to be healthy. I want you to feel good. I want you to, to, um, to thrive and to, to feel safe and to get enough sleep and to get enough, um, to, get, to eat right to those yeah. things. It's so, so important. And I, and I think that there's, especially as going back to the parenting thing, like if we did grow up with parents who um, maybe neglected us in some way, taking care of our bodies can be such a restorative healing part of that, of like the ways that I always wanted to be tended to and cared for and loved and considered. Like I get to kind of do that to myself. Like I get to say, I'm going to go to bed early because I need my sleep or I get to, I'm going to eat this healthy meal because it's good for me. Like I get to, to kind of, to um, direct that loving energy towards my body um, that I so wish it experienced all growing up. Um, so yeah. it makes me thrilled to hear that you're working with an SE therapist or have worked with them. Oh yeah. It's, it's been like transformational and I, you know, it's, um, I guess it also, I realized a lot and maybe this is the older generation is, I don't know if you've experienced this, but in the religious circles, it's more of like, do not connect to your body. Right. Or like old school parents. No, 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 no. Don't feel your body. That's just, so there's. Yeah. The I mean, flesh is sinful. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. So can I ask, like, was your spiritual background, like, Christian background? Yeah. So um, I grew up in a small network of house churches that were started by um, Chinese immigrants. <laughs> It sounds so funny to say out loud, but they, <laughs> they, um, in China, you know, there's the national church that the government runs. And so if you, if you want to meet any other way, you have to do it illegally and underground. And so, um, and so, uh, there were, there's, there's a ton of Chinese churches in, in all over China. And, and so, you know, eventually a lot of these people immigrated to North America. Well, they kept meeting in the same way. Mm. And so, um, so they'd be really just kind of tiny, um, yeah, house churches. The one I grew up in was like 50 people. There's no paid clergy. There's no, um, there's no um, like formal structure, but there is a structure for sure. And that was, you know, the men may call all the shots and the women go to prayer meeting and can pray about it. But the men made decisions and people take turns preaching. And, um, and so it was expected me that I learned how to do that. And so, um, but there certainly wasn't an ounce of, and, and in some ways I'm, I, I am very, you know, grateful because in those churches there was a real reverence and um, and respect for sacred text, for communion, for things. And so I always felt like there was this thing that's so much bigger than myself that I get to participate in. Right. Um, now the language and the verbiage and the the belief systems, you know, I, I think I've um, I've moved on from. But but I I am really grateful that it, it did teach me how to like sit in respect and in reverence and in my own contemplative practices now I, I find that it's a very similar feeling and so um but the yeah the beliefs along with those practices uh certainly uh, many of them were damaging and um you know we uh yeah a lot of s sexual shame a lot of um uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> all the things. All the things. You know, the living separate. in the world. What was sinful? <laughs> the Simpsons were sinful. Everything was sinful. Everything was of the world. The Pokemon the, was the devil. The Pokemon. The Democrats are evil. You know, all the all the crazy stuff. So, um, yeah. so I I, I, got, I got a fair share of that. Um, but you know, I I think, you know, part of my process and when I really see growth in my clients, it is such a big marker of growth and healing is the ability to hold complexity and not go into all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're, especially early on when we're angry and we're just not ready to let go of that resentment and it's still, you know, there's, there's still some purpose for it. It can be difficult to look back on our past and say, my parents as flawed as they were, and I don't even like this saying, but I'll say it, they were doing the best they could. Um, or the church I grew up in as flawed as it was, you know, they were just, they were, they were, they were doing what they thought was right. And, um, and so the, the ability to, to say both and, and to have some nuance and to, it's both this and this, and it's not all or nothing. It's not black and white. People are complex. I think it's a major marker of healing and growth. Um, and to extend it to ourselves, right? Of course, yeah, like for sure. in our addiction, we're, we're hurting, but we're doing the best we can. And uh, so, yeah, I used to think that doing the best they can was like kind of, you know, cutting people a break, like, well, they're doing the best they can. I can't say that because they're being an asshole or they're being a fundamentalist or they're being this, but now I realize being the best they can is just like, that's all they can give. Right. At the moment, like a paralyzed person cannot get up and dance. Mm. So extending that, and it took me a long time and I was really angry for the parents or angry at the, ch the church people and they were like telling me that I was, <laughs> crazy for doing yoga or whatever but it takes a while and i think coming to 
for me, that phrase, doing the best they can, has been very compassionate. Like the experience that I have now when I say that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's all they can give. Yeah. That's all they can give. Whatever they had, whatever they, whatever Kool-Aid they were drinking, whether it was the church people or whatever my parents were doing. But I do see, I like what you said about how this reverence, because just being in this mindful experience of reverence. And I grew up, you know, Mexico City, we were Catholic and some of mm-hmm. these churches, some of these experiences were so mystical and was just like, I really, really liked the mystery of it, the mysticism of it. But I was yeah. really, really scared of all the saints and the rules and all that stuff because they have these real life scenes with blood and everything in those Mexican churches and it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I um, was in Muscota, Mexico, which is like t- two and a half hours east of Puerto Varta. And they, um, I remember for mass, people they would crawl on their hands and knees to mass yeah. out of respect for Mary. And um, yeah. certainly can go, can go overboard and we, you know, lose ourselves in that kind of tribalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as you said, like the, the grandeur of it, the largeness of it, it, it is, there's components to that if done right can be really um, beautiful. Yeah. And I suppose it's just part of the journey, right? To, to peel the layers and wake up and be like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, and you start, you know, I, I, I look back at, you know, my dad's anger outbursts and, you know, I just, I mean, it's part of getting older, but I just look back at those memories now and not always, but when I'm in a more grounded space, I can just say like, man, he was in a lot of pain, wasn't he? You know, like, man, he was in, he just did not like himself very much, did he? Yeah. Like, you know, people don't act out in damaging, painful ways if they have a healthy relationship with themselves. Like, it's all done from yeah. a sense of pain and hurt and trying to get out of it. And along the way, you end up running over other people. And I was one of the ones that got ran over. But um, yeah. but I, I still, but I think just to realize, like, yeah, there's he's in a lot of pain, and he, like you said, he's, he did he did what what seemed like was the best he could do at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I'll just say this. I know I'm talking your ear off, but this is me. Um, (laughs) I mean, we're in COVID-19. What else are we going to do? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I, I, I'll also say this. It is like for anyone that's listening, that's like just not there yet. Like, or I don't even say not there yet. It's just not there. Like, that's okay. Like with my clients, like yeah. I will have them write fuck you letters all the time. Of just, <laughs> Dear dad, you son of a bitch. And just go at it. Right. And just let that kid who was never able to be heard speak or let that yeah. part or, you know, or to your ex-wife, or to your ex-husband or to your, the bully growing up or whoever it was. Right. It's like, like stand up for yourself have a healthy expression of anger that says what you did was wrong and it is not okay and i demand that i be treated differently from now on like like that is to just to be clear i don't have them send the fuck you letters but i just have them write them as an exercise <laughs> right, yeah. um and so um so you know part of the both and is 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 saying like yeah it, it's okay to, to to feel that anger too i just think there's a healthy expression of anger and then there's resentment bitterness that ends up kind of corroding inside of us. And so I'm all about the healthy expression of anger um, that says the way you treated me was not okay. And I deserve more than that. Um, That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So that's cool. No, like it's a process. It takes time. It takes work. 
Maybe we can all write fuck you COVID letters. <laughs> <laughs> we can. Yeah. Well, then, well, so then I have people, you got to write the fuck you letter first. And then when you feel like that's all the, you, expressed, you, you out. That expressed out and read that, then we say, dear dad, all I ever wanted from you was. Oh. And, we, and then we write that letter. Yeah. And so, but we've got to get the anger out first. We've got to feel heard. We've got to feel stood up for it. We stood up for ourselves. We've got to feel validated in that anger. And then when that's really um, settled, we, we write the, all I ever really wanted from you was okay. letter. And I think it's important that you mentioned that you write these a few letters because uh, a lot of us feel like this, um, like you have to like this, like it's just wrong to say that up to your parents, mm. right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, well, yeah, you can. It's fine because don't worry. Afterwards, you'll write the "I only wish I had had this from you." Letter. It's just right. an exercise to process the pain. And yeah, and and sometimes it's a journey to get there for sure. And I've I have clients, and and you know some people have a wonderful relationship with their parents. I'm not saying it's you know it's always gonna be this relationship, but. Um... Or whoever, yeah. whoever is whoever it is, whoever it is, the disease, yeah. the experience, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I tell people is that like, and I alluded to this earlier, but like anger is just a healthy response that identifies that the way I was treated was, was in violation of, of, of boundaries that I've set up. Right. Like this, this is, we, we all kind of have this, this is how I deserve to be treated. Mm. And when someone crosses that line, our anger should activate. It expresses to other people, hey, that's not okay. I need you to look at what you just did and not cross that boundary again. And for people who, who struggle with that, there might be an invitation for them to really f- get in touch with their anger. And, and, I would, and I would oftentimes, there's a low view of the self. Like I'm not worth defending. I'm not worth standing up for. I'm not worth... Oh. Um, I'm not worth being, being defended. And so anger can be a really beautiful cue of self, of just of self love of like, no, 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 that actually, I actually love myself too much to watch myself be bullied like that or to have watched myself be bullied. I would never let a friend be treated that way. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to have that same self. I'm going to have that same respect for myself. Um, Oh, that um, is so awesome. I I can't, it's like, you have to say that again. So anger is like this beautiful um, protection kind of thing. Like a- Yeah, of course. And it's, it's our cue that someone has crossed a boundary, right? That, 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 that the way that we've been treated is, is not okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, and now, now for people who, who struggle with anger and get angry at different, at, you know, in, maybe in ways that they shouldn't be, maybe in traffic or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, that can be, that's usually hitting on something else, right? Like it's not about the, it's not about the person who mistakenly like stepped in front of you at the grocery store. It's about the past of, you know, when other people have imposed on you or something like that. Right. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that every time we get angry, it's a cue that you're being mistreated. Sometimes there's some work that we need to do to identify why we're so easily triggered. But in the context of what you said earlier, where people feel maybe resistant towards getting angry at, their parents or whoever, I would just say like anger can be like a real healthy, it is, it's a pure, it's the, it's the most, it's the most obvious defense mechanism we have, right? It's yeah. literally a defense. Like, yeah. no, 
do not do that. Do not treat me like that. Right. Um, and it can be expressed, um, coherently and, 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 um, and with, with, um, tact, you know, so it's not rage. It's not bitterness. It's right. just, it's anger. I'm angry. That is so cool to hear that. Cause I, you know, I have like the last eight months that my mom was just dying, dying, dying slowly, but surely everybody like so many people in her family were like do this do this do that you know she's not that sick she's not and i was like dude she is dying mm -hmm. no 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 but this but this and all and i was just they'd be like why are you so angry i just mm -hmm. we put up so many boundaries and i wasn't angry when i was with my mom and you know with my siblings but just this i think it's like this beautiful wall of protection that i was in. and i would just now i'm able to i mean this is a very healing podcast for me matt <laughs> No. I'm recovering right here. No, because I, you know, people will be like, how come you're so angry? Mm -hmm. Because I'm loving myself and I'm not taking anybody else's, you know, bullshit anymore mm -hmm. from since I was a little girl. And here we are now and my mom is dying. And it was just, we ended up having these boundaries that held space for such a cool, supernaturally mystical, spiritual, mindful experience of goodbye. And I would not, we would not have been able to harmonize that space if it hadn't been for this anger that was just like, no to you, no to you, nope, 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 we're just going to do our thing. Um, so I, I, I feel very validated by your words, like, yeah, uh -oh. this was love, you know, that um, I am not a bitch. It was just, I was protecting me for once yes. in my life. Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry now. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, damn, this is such a good conversation. I'm going to, I think I'll just have to have you like come on here like every two, three months and just teach us all. <laughs> well, you know, I, I um, let me look at my schedule and see when I can fit you in. Okay, I'm not doing <laughs> anything for the next six months. So um, anytime you want to have me, I'd be happy to come back. Yeah, the <laughs> so Matt Bishop. Check. It's the open. Matt. <laughs> the Matt Bishop, Mindy, everybody. <laughs> Um, Mondays with Matt. Tell us, okay, so where can um, people find you? Are you giving therapy sessions like through Zoom or through phone right now? When are yeah, so so mental health is an essential service. So I'm I'm open for business. I'd say I've moved about a third of my practice via Zoom, and so I, I offer that. I, I I'm still meeting people in person, and we just kind of observe the six feet of social distancing, and I sanitize my office and try to make it as safe as possible for everyone. And of course, if if you know I, if anyone's experiencing symptoms if i'm experiencing symptoms i'll shut everything down but yeah um so i'm still doing i'm doing in person my office is in bakers hill um but I, i'm also available via zoom um my website is mattbishoptherapy.com you can find me on instagram or twitter at it's matt bishop um and all this boredom all this boredom and all this kind of <laughs> shut down time um starting my own podcast um yeah it's called yeah it's called people i love and you should too um it's there's a little one minute preview that's on right now and then um, the first one's going to come out this next monday um i'm just going to be interviewing people that i love or love learning from or love spending time with and um so um, that's great congratulations that's please great. like subscribe give it a five-star review even though you've never heard a second of it um <laughs> Where's that link? Is that link to the podcast on your Instagram? Or on the uh, it will be by okay hope soon. Okay, <laughs> it'll, it'll 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 definitely be on my website. On Instagram, it's tough because you only get one link, so it's like 
do I want to send people my podcast or I want to send them to the website? I'll probably send them the website. No, no, no. So there's this thing called Linktree. Oh. Then you go to Linktree and then there's, you can either send them to your podcast, to your webpage, to your YouTube channel, to the other podcast that you've recorded. Got it. Yes. So I I put the Linktree up there and then it's kind of like from there, people can go to different places. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. Yeah. See, learn something new in the COVID times. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you for being a, a guest on Tales of Recovery, Matt. This has been really cool. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I will be posting on here all of your webpage and Instagram stuff as well so people can read it. And um, Thanks yeah. so much for having me. And everyone be safe and be good. We're going to get through this. Yes, we got this. We got this. Estamos juntos. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you guys. Take care.